for two and a half years now, we have been making the declaration, Statesville will be synonymous with the glory of God. And it is true. But for that to happen, there's going to have to be a company of believers, foot soldiers as it were, to establish the atmosphere in this city to attract that glory. It's not just going to happen. And it won't happen just because we declare it. And anyways, what is the glory of God? Is it just the miraculous? Is it something that brings what we call revival? Is it merely a churchy thing? I believe the only way that we're going to see the glory of God attracted to this city is as we as foot soldiers first understand who he is, secondarily understand what his glory is and the purpose of his glory. Amen. The only way that Statesville is going to be synonymous with the glory is as the king from whose face the glory shines is exalted. For that to happen, some things need to be settled. You cannot have the heart or win the heart of a city if you believe that half or more of the city is doomed to hell and annihilation and destruction. You better listen to me. You will never win the heart of a city if you have the misconception that half of the people or greater or whatever number is, is, is other than. So what we do is we take the big eraser called the grace of God and we erase the line that separates us and them. It's just all us. Because the moment that we take our pencil and we draw a line and separate ourselves, they're them and we are us. You no longer have the capacity nor the ability to be able to reach into where they are, become what they are, and win them into the kingdom. And I can promise you the one way people will be won into the kingdom is by love. And you cannot love someone if you say, I'm good, I'm righteous, I'm holy, but you're not. God favors me, he doesn't favor you. God loves me, he doesn't love you. You must say a magical prayer for God to love you. That's a bunch of, of stuff. See, I can be nice. It's good. No, what we gotta do is say, if I'm gonna win the heart of the city, I wanna win every single person that's in this city. Everybody that's in the city. For Statesville to be synonymous with the glory of God. In other words, for Statesville to be one with the glory, for Statesville to be known as a city that hosted and, and had, as it were, the bearers of the glory of God living here and become synonymous, we're gonna have to dissolve the line between us and them. And I don't just mean us and them as the, as the Christians and the sinners. I'm talking about the denominational lines. I'm talking about cultural lines. I'm talking about racial barriers. All of it is gonna have to be dissolved or we're gonna talk about it, but we're not gonna see it. I felt compelled this morning in my heart to, to talk about how we as a church can be the front runners of the bearers of the glory. And it cannot just be about true vine. It's always got to be about the one in whose face the glory of God has always been. It's about Jesus Christ the righteous. And if we make it about him, then we got to make it about them. If we're going to make it about him, we've got to make it about them. Because John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that if you just simply believe, and the reason they don't believe is because you've lied to them, 
you at large. I don't mean you maybe individually. They've been lied to and told they had to do something to become something. I, I'm a button by virtue of the fact that my father's a button and my mother's a button and they decided to have me one day. Such is the same way in the kingdom. You are born into a kingdom. You're not coerced into a kingdom. And you're certainly not uh, frightened into a kingdom. And what we try to do is we try to preach this little sloppy message that says, you know, come and repeat my prayer and you can be saved from doom and gloom. That's, I don't have a problem with somebody repeating a prayer. Sometimes I'll say to you, say this with me. But there's no magic in repeating a phrase. There's got to be a heart change. But people don't want to change their heart if they don't feel like they're truly loved. Right. Period. And so what's happened is ministers, people that call themselves ministers that do not operate in love found out there's another motivator they can use and it's called fear. And for centuries now, instead of loving people into the kingdom, we've tried to scare the scare them out of hell. Can I say it that way? We've tried to scare them out of hell and make them afraid. And if you win someone by fear, you're going to have to maintain them by fear. And so every week it's perpetuated fear, 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 fear. But John is very clear that perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. But when your love is mature, when your love is mature, you're not afraid anymore. I'm not even reading my good, Lord. You know what, Tammy? I don't even care what time it is. Boom. There you go. Your prayer just got answered. You cannot have the heart to a city if you believe more than half of the city is doomed to hell and annihilation. So we have to change some ways that we think because we declare with our mouth Statesville will be synonymous with the glory, but in the back of our mind, we're like, well, not all of Statesville. Not them. Not the other than us. There is no other than you. Why are you pushing back so hard on this? Some of you are thinking so hard, there's, there's smoke coming out of your ears. You know, I started to pull out my favorite message. It's, se it's, it's seven sure ways to a condo in, in Pensacola. When I preach that one, I get a lot of amens. <laughs> Boo, that's bad. So many times in the New Testament, the thing that preceded a miracle or a move of God was Jesus being moved with compassion, and you will not win the heart of the city if you're not moved with compassion for the city. Oh. If we want statesmen to be synonymous with God's glory, we will do so by moving with compassion. We will also need to see and understand what the true nature of God is, and we've got to finally put away what his nature is not. And I can tell you, and I'm going to read it to you this morning. The prophets of old and the men of old saw in part, but if they had seen clearly who he was, there would have been no need for Jesus to come. But the only perfect lens through which we can see the perfect nature of the Father is in Jesus Christ the righteous. As a matter of fact, he is the word of God, which in essence it means he's everything the Father ever wanted to say about himself. Not in glimpses. Not in part. My dad was 6'3", 250 to 300 pounds. He got a lot heavier, and sometimes he was thinner. But if you look, there's, I, would, I would share the story with you, but I, I don't want to. If you were to look through a, a hole and see my father, but only see just how tall he was, you'd say, well, that's a tall, thin man. And you would be kind of partially right, because he is tall, but he's not thin. 
If you were to zoom in and you could only see the side of his face, you would say, well, Tony Bunt had white hair. But that's not true. He's partially true because his sideburns were white. But up here was chestnut brown. He had love to say, my chair. I don't know what it was, but his love for his hair was chestnut brown. And boy, he put his stuff in it. He's a Dapper Dan man. He won't fop. So it's partially true, but the truth of it is he doesn't have gray hair. He had chestnut brown hair, and parts of it here and there were gray. In the same way, that's the way the Old Testament prophets saw him, and their experience with God was saying, this is the part of him that I've seen, but there was never the whole of him revealed until Jesus Christ came. Yeah. Period. You cannot believe it, but I'm going to prove it to you because I'm going to read it straight from Hebrews in a minute. We're going to have to understand and see the nature of God. Do you have any idea how many poor decisions, life-altering decisions have been made, and even some ridiculous national policies have been made because of an immature understanding of God, his nature, and eschatology? Oh, I'm going to go there. I know a whole group of people in the 80s that believed they would be caught up in what they believed was a rapture, that it was going to happen before. There were 88 reasons it would happen before 88. And so they cleaned out their bank accounts. They refused to store up. They refused, and now they're in their 60s and 70s having to work a job because their eschatology and their view of God was so backwards and so wrong that they acted on what they had been told and it had zero to do with who he truly is or was. When I said that that was actually a book that was written, 88 reasons that Jesus will come back in 88. Well, the truth of it is Jesus did come in 88, probably more than 88 million times. He's always coming. He came this morning. Talk about his second coming. I'm talking about his 258 billionth coming because he always comes. He said wherever two or three would gather together in my name, I'm right there in the midst of them. He's always coming. And I'm not suggesting that he's not going to physically come one day, but if we're going to put everything good that's going to happen off until sometime tomorrow, then we're going to make a bunch of bad decisions about how we're going to win the heart of this city. As a matter of fact, we will never win the heart of the city. This is not an eschatological message. I'm not trying to pre... Eschatology is the study of end times, the study of last things. That's not what this is about. But some of our end times understanding is so immature and so skewed that we make really bad decisions about our future based on poor eschatology. And unless we can get that... Well, how do we fix that? The first way to fix that is to fully understand the nature of the Father. Because if we can understand the nature of the Father, that He's not out to get us, He's not out to destroy, He's not bringing hellfire and brimstone, but He was not putting Jesus on the cross to punish Him. But the Bible says God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world unto Himself. Everything that He did was to reconcile... Not him to the world. He did not need to be reconciled, but we needed to be reconciled back to him. He never left his first estate. Yes. He's been in the garden ever since day one. He's been calling. That's why he put a flaming sword so that we could see the way back to the tree of life as soon as we hear the truth. That's why Jesus said, you know the way to the Father, not the way to get to heaven. That's what we preach. We preach a message that says how you can die and go to heaven. But Jesus never preached about going to heaven. Jesus preached about the way back to the Father. He said, and they said, how do we know the way to the Father? He said, have I been with you so long? You don't know what he looks like? I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Essentially what he was saying was, through me you'll hear the truth that will undo the lie of the serpent 
and I'm going to lead you right back to the tree of life. And the tree of life is simply perfect communion with the Father. You should have clapped your hands right there because that was a mouthful. When you hear it again, you chew on that for a while. It's going to change your life because you're going you're to find out, well, he's so much better than we've ever given him credit for. And not just to the good churchy people that praise and worship and do things on Sundays, but to the people that haven't so much as spoken his name in 16 years. He loves them just as much as he loves you. And that's why we can all have hope. His love is everlasting. His mercies are everlasting from age to age to age. Well, I got a lot to say. Uh, just fasten your safety belts. We're going somewhere. Poor decisions made because of poor eschatology. The message today is not about that per se, but until we understand that God loves the world, that he does not want to destroy it and everybody in it, and he, he, he plans for the earth to be renewed and everlasting, then we're going to have good services, but we won't affect culture. And to win a city, you've got to affect culture. And to, and to win a city, you've got to have a heart of compassion for the heart of the city. And that includes all of its citizens. And some of them you don't like, and some of them I don't like either. And what we have to do is take what we do or don't like and throw it away because the last time I checked, you're dead people just like I am. Now it's Christ that lives. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. And Jesus loves everybody. And so what I do is I die to myself and allow Jesus Christ by his spirit to live inside of me, and that spirit loves everybody and will draw everybody into his presence until everybody feels in unity and everybody feels apart. As Charles Johnson taught me when I was a teenage boy, everybody is somebody in the body. The message today is not about eschatology, but it has to be, it has to be mentioned. We won't affect culture until his nature is seen. And to see his nature, we're going to have to see it in Jesus Christ. Because if we see it only in part, I can make an argument today based on Scripture. You hold up your Bible and say, this is the Word of God. That's what, that's what, that's what they, this is the Word of God. Well, yes and no. Jesus is the Word of God. I believe that, do I, am I, now don't get mad at me, but I know people that will worship a Bible more than they worship the, the author. I put on Facebook a couple years ago, I would rather have a relation with the author than to be able to quote word for word his book, and I got hammered, absolutely got hammered. What do you say? I said, I, obviously, if I love the author, I want to know what the author has to say, but I would rather know the heart of the father, the heart of the author, than to take someone else's word that they wrote down and say, oh, this must be what he's like. I want to know not just what he does, but why he does. What, what is it that moves God? What, what is it that makes him click? What is it that, is it anger? Is he truly ticked off at the world? Is he really filling up his cup of wrath and he can't wait just to get back? Are we really, as the, as the classic message said, sinners in the hands of an angry God and every minute we're, we're like, like a little baby smacking this big giant man who holds us over a furnace? Is that like him at all? Or instead, are we not sinners in the hands of an angry God, but have we become saints and children and sons and daughters in the hands of a loving God? Which one is it? I mean, you gotta pick one or the other because if it's gonna be that one, you might be discluded. And I'm not trying to take shots at Jonathan Edwards, but he completely saw in part because that in no way reveals, how many times did you see Jesus wanting to burn them up? You tell me. 
When the harlot came and stoned at his feet, did he, did he consign her to hell and jail and torment and punishment? Or did he look up and say, where are your accusers? And she said, Lord, I have none. He said, then neither do I accuse you. Now be free. Go and sin no more. When they brought a blind man that was 34 years blind and the disciples say to him, why is this man blind? Is it because they think just like church people. Is it because he sinned or his parents? And Jesus said, you missed the point altogether. That's what we think. Well, well, I mean, they're reaping what they sow. Bad things happen to them because they did bad things. And I'm not, I believe in the law of sowing and reaping, but I also believe in the law of sonship. And I believe there are things that you inherit by sonship just because of who you are and has nothing to do with what you do. Because, <laughs> because to sow, if you want to reap a harvest, you have to sow a seed. You have to do something. But to receive an inheritance, you don't have to do something. You simply have to be somebody. The prophets of old saw glimpses, but the glory they longed to see was found in one place in the face of Jesus. And every time that they begged to see his glory, anytime they were in his presence, including Moses when he came down off the mountain, what was happening? He veiled his face because the glory that was on his face was fading. Because everything that they had then was an incomplete picture, and the picture would always be incomplete until that day that Jesus Christ was born. He comes up out of the river, and the Father says, signified by the Holy Spirit, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. In another place of the transfiguration, he says, hear him. I, I just got to skip or I'm going to read eight pages of notes, which we, I don't want to take the time for, although we could do it. I love how he says, this is my beloved son. Hear, he's literally saying, forget everything else that you've heard. Because Jesus would even say, you've heard them by, in old times say, but I say. He literally directly contradicted people that were prophets and held in high esteem. And the issue was they were so good at keeping law and commandment, but they had no idea what the nature of the heart of the Father really was. And so they thought the approach to the Father, it was, or, or the approach to God, they didn't even think of him as Father. The approach to God was if I do well, then I'm rewarded well. If I do poorly, then I'm cut off. And Jesus said, look, it doesn't have a thing. I talked about the prodigal father last week. has nothing to do with your approach. That's not your approach. And he said, you've heard it said by them of old time, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Well, that came from Moses. That was in Leviticus. And it's a scripture. And if I wanted to preach that today, a way a lot of it's preached, I could get up, I could preach that, and I could make a case why you have every right when somebody punches you to punch them right back. If they take your eye out, you pluck theirs out. And Jesus said, you've heard them in old times. He could have said, you heard what Moses said, but I say to you, if someone smote you on the cheek, turn to them your other. He directly contradicted what they said. And why did he directly contradict? Because they assumed that their picture was the entire picture. But they simply saw God's sideburns, but they didn't know the whole glory of it. <laughs> Woo. And the only time that God was perfectly revealed was in his son Jesus. If you cannot say it about Jesus, you better not say it about the Father. Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians 3, I'm just going to read to you for the sake of time, starting in verse 7. But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones, we're talking about 
Moses. You got to understand this Moses was held in such high esteem. I mean, he was, it was Abraham and it was Moses, the greatest prophet that they'd had in their history. This is the one who spoke to God, who received the commandments from God, who, who got the pattern from the heavenlies to build the tabernacle. I mean, this is Moses. But if the ministry of death, I love how it calls the old covenant, the ministry of death. You, you could literally say that and people don't know their Bible well. They'll get mad at you for calling the old covenant ministry of death. And it's clearly right here in 2 Corinthians 3, 7. If the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was. I love how Paul's like, I'm going to make sure that you understand the glory. That's why I sing the song. It, became, it came to me as a spontaneous worship. That's why I sung it this morning. Lord, we want to see your face, your face, not a glory that fades. That's what Moses saw. That's what the children of Israel saw in Moses. We want more than just a page. We don't just want what's written down about you. We want you. We want to see your face, not just a glory that fades. We want more than just a page. We want you. It needs to be recorded. It needs to be put out there. How will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. Literally, it says, if you look at the glory of the old covenant in comparison to the glory of the new covenant, the old covenant can't even compare. The old understanding of who he was does not even compare. If it did a sufficient job of showing perfectly the heart of the Father, Jesus would not have had to come. It was made obsolete. That's exactly right. For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory which surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. I know it's a lot of reading. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened, for until this very day at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. The veil is removed in Christ. I'm going to pause here for a second and tell you, when Jesus comes out of the tomb, well, remember when Jesus went into the tomb, they, put, they wrapped him up in clothes and they put a napkin about his face. And when, there's, there's a whole lot of truth. I don't want to go into the Hebraic uh, understanding of what that is about him returning. But I do want to say this. The, he, the napkin was about his face. When, when Peter and John walk in, when the, when the ladies walk in, they see what? The Bible says they saw his grave clothes that were still there and the napkin that was folded. Essentially what Jesus was saying was no longer will there be a separation of the glory of the Father from the people, but he literally took that veil that separated the face of the Father. He folded it up and when he came out of the tomb, the veil stayed in the tomb. He was saying from this day forward because of the finished work of the cross, there will never again be a time that the glory of God needs to be separated from his people and his people never have to be separated. He hated the veil so much that he folded it up and buried it and said, you stay here, I'm going to be with my people. <laughs> now, but to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. 
Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, thank God, we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. So what he's done is, as we see him as he truly is, we understand that that old covenant glory of do's and don'ts and cosmic chalkboard where we, where we do well, we get a check mark, and we do bad, we get an X mark. What we do is we've left that glory, we erase that all together, step over into our identity as sons and daughters of God and say, I'll never be judged that way again. I'm gonna be judged based on the work, the finished work of the cross and what Jesus did on my behalf, period. I know I'm moving quickly. 2 Corinthians 4, New American Standard. Therefore, since we had this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, condemning ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Listen to me. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God found in the face of Jesus Christ. The place that you're gonna find the glory of God is the face of Jesus Christ. If you want Statesville synonymous with the glory of God, if you want Statesville to attract the glory of God, you're gonna have to look in the face of Jesus. You're gonna have to look into the, into the face of Jesus or the nature of Jesus or the person of Jesus and what was revealed in the person of Jesus but the loving heart of a father who had been hidden because of misconceptions and misunderstandings for millennia. I'm tackling a lot, I know. <coughs> Excuse me. I wanna read that, I like this. I'm gonna read the same scripture, but I wanna read it from the Message Bible. I just like to shine different lights. Remember, our message is not about ourselves. We're proclaiming Jesus Christ, the master. All we are is messengers, errand runners, from Jesus for you. It started out when God said, light up the darkness, and our lives filled up with light as we saw and understood God in the face of Christ, all bright and beautiful. As we saw and understood God, who was the other, the otherness of God, was erased forever when Jesus was manifested. You can only reveal and release what you have beheld. Listen to me. You want to release the glory of God in Statesville? You'll never release a glory that you've not first beheld. Until you see him as he is, not as you think he is. See, we're changed when we see him as he is, we become like him. And as he is, it's very simple. I'm gonna read it to you here in a minute. And as we, when we see him as he is, the Bible says we become like him. For we, remember that? When the Lord shall appear, we should, be, we should be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And what do they do with that scripture? The same thing you do with every scripture. Put it off until some glad morning. Some glad morning. Here, Jesus splits the eastern sky, which, so he literally 
whips the cloud away. He steps out. We see him. Boom, now we're like him. And that is the way that they preach what that, what that means and could not be further from the truth. I'm not suggesting that I know it all, but what I am suggesting is it's not just his appearing one day that's going to make us like him. It's as we see him as he truly is that we begin to reveal the nature. Jesus saw the nature of the Father. He said, I don't do anything that I didn't see my Father do, and I say only the things I heard my Father say. He literally was on a mission to reveal the heart of the Father. You want states to be synonymous with the glory? You better get on a mission to reveal the heart of the Father, and it is not to go after him and burn him up. Period. Whoever them is. Them is, them are. I don't think you can say them are. That sounds really bad. Is. Depends on what your definition of is, is. You know what, Billy, you know what Slick Willie said years ago? You can only reveal and release what you have beheld until you... Can I say that out loud? I don't even know what it means. <laughs> you don't remember they used to call Bill Clinton and, uh, and Al Gore Slick Willie and the Ozone Man? Oh, yeah. <sighs> Laugh for a minute, I need some water. I can promise you, I'm not Republican or Democrat. I'm son of the king. I'm son. not suggesting you don't do your civic duty and vote. You should do that stuff. But I'm not following on one, one side or the other. I'm right in line with what the kingdom says and what Jesus says. And if he says it, that's where I am, in case you were wondering. Until you see him as he is, you will not be able to reveal him, let alone release his spirit into your community. So what does God want for us? What does he look like? I literally said on social media, it came to me yesterday, and I put it up. Some people, I think, sort of took it as a joke, I guess, because this is 2019. I said, Jesus was the father's selfie. The father wanted to take a selfie. He got at his phone, and he says, I want them to see me as I really am. Here's my he turns on his camera. Boom. He takes a snapshot, and he says, now I'm naming him Jesus. I'm gonna, he's the word made flesh. I'm going to send him into the earth. He's the word made flesh. He's everything I've ever wanted to say about myself. He's going to reveal it. I wasn't trying to be cute, but to help our generation understand what an unseen God looks like. God looks like Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1. Here's the Passion Translation. I like it says the subtitle. This is theirs. Jesus, comma, the language of God. Love that. Throughout our history, God has spoken to our ancestors by his prophets in many ways. The King James says, in various times and in sundry places, God spoke to us by his servants, the prophets. But in these last days, he, that right there ought to, ought to really mess with some people's eschatology. Because Paul said 2,000 years ago, he was in the last days. Anyways, that's your free part. Let me just help you. You're living in a new day. Can I just say, you're living in a new day. I don't want to mess with the end time stuff. I'm not, try, not trying to poke holes in your eschatology. But there's hope because you're living in a new day. Yeah. It became a new day the very moment that Jesus was born again from the dead and was raised. He was crowned. He, he, he ascended. He was crowned. He was coronated. And guess what? He's seated. And all power has been given unto him both in heaven and earth and below the earth. Yeah. You live in a new day. Thank you. You're welcome. I love you too. What's that? There's gonna, yeah, a new day. That's exactly right. She sang it too. Throughout our history, God has spoken to our ancestors by his prophets in many different ways. The revelation he gave them was only a fragment at a time, building one truth upon another. But to us, living in these last days, God now speaks to us openly in the language of his son. 
the appointed heir of everything, for through him God created the panorama of all things and all time. I like this guy. But unto us living in these last days, God now speaks to us openly in the language of his dear son. That's how he speaks. You want to hear what God has to say? You might want to listen to what Jesus says. You want to see how God treats people? You might want to look at the way that Jesus treated people. And the only people Jesus ever had an issue or problem with were religious hypocrites and even those he had mercy for. But he did call them snakes and vipers. There's not a person that came to him with sin or mistake or failures that he's like, well, I don't know if I can help you. I'd like to be able to help you, but I'm not anointed for that today. The anointed one, that would be funny, wouldn't it? I, you should have caught me Sunday, man. I had, a, I had an anointing to heal the sick. No, never said that. You never caught Jesus on an off day because he wasn't performing, he just is. But to us living in these last days, God now speaks to us openly in the language of a son, the appointed heir of everything. Ooh. For through him, God created the panorama of all things in all time. The sun is the dazzling radiance of God's splendor, the exact expression of God's true nature, period. Jesus, the only begotten Son of the Father, is the only exact representation of the Father that has ever been seen. What's crazy to me is you say this in some churches and they will absolutely hammer you and say, well, what about Moses? What? I love when Jesus would show up and say stuff like, a greater than Abraham is here, a greater than Solomon is here. The sun is the dazzling radiance of God's splendor, the exact expression. King James says the expressed image of his person. It's, it literally says he's everything the Father wanted us to see about him. You can be seen in Jesus. His mirror image. God's selfie. When I write my own translation, that's what, that's what I'm going to call it. That's how I'm going to translate that. Jesus is God's selfie. I'm not going to write my own translation. I am not that. I am not that extra. I know some people that are. I actually know people that have written their own <laughs> translations of the Bible. People crazy. He holds the universe together and expands it by the mighty power of his spoken, <coughs> spoken word. He accomplished for us the complete cleansing of sins, then took his seat on the highest throne <coughs> at the right hand of the majestic one. God our Father looks like Jesus, and Jesus is love. God our Father looks like Jesus, and Jesus is love, and was always moved with compassion. As a matter of fact, of all of the attributes you can give to God, there's only one word that you can perfectly define his nature with, and that, that word is love. So if love is his nature, then his nature is going to be perfectly seen if we find out what love is. Well, 1 Corinthians 13, everybody that's ever been to at least three weddings, you've heard it. You got a one in three chance of hearing this at a wedding. If I speak with human eloquence, 1 Corinthians 13, the message, an angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. What? You're telling me if I can perform well and I can get the hair to stand on the back of your neck and I can get you to feel like you've had an anointed experience, yada, 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 but I don't have love, I'm nothing more than a creaking gate. I know it's getting late, I'm sorry. 
If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, have all the revelation, know it all. And if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. See, we've majored on what we should not, we've majored on those things. And instead of majoring on love, when you major on love, then you'll be moved with compassion and those things are second nature. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. So I'm going to read to you. If, if God is love, if Jesus perfectly reveals the nature of the Father and Jesus is love, then if, if, if love never gives up, then Jesus never gives up and the Father never gives up. If it's true, according to 1 Corinthians, that love cares more for others than for itself, then Jesus must care more for others than himself, and the Father must care more for others than himself. I don't know why this should stretch you. If love doesn't want what it doesn't have and doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, Jesus doesn't have a swelled head. The Father doesn't have a swelled head. If, If love doesn't force itself on others, the Father doesn't force himself on others. If love doesn't fly off at the handle, well, that's, that's the God they preach. Mess up and see. That's the God they preach. And the reason they preach him is because they project on him their own anger issues and probably deep feelings of insecurity and probably broken relationship with father. I could go on with their father. And so they assume that God is like their father and their father might not have been a good person at all. Doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Love doesn't keep score of the sins of others. So does father keep score of the sins of others? Does Jesus? Jesus said, look, neither do I condemn you. Takes pleasure in in truth. Puts up with anything. Trusts God always. Always looks for the best. God always looks for the best. Never looks back. God never looks back and says, man, I shouldn't have called that one. Well, I knew he was going to mess up. I shouldn't have. I made a mistake there. Has it ever dawned on you that it's never dawned on God? Love never dies. Never looks back. It keeps going to the end. Love never dies. Inspired speech will be over someday. Praying in tongues will end. Understanding will reach its limits. We, we, we know only a portion of the truth, and what we say about God is always incomplete. But when the complete arrives, our incompletes will be canceled. When I was an infant at my mother's breast, I, I gurgled and cooed like any infant. When I grew up, I left those infant ways for good. Time for the church to grow up. Stop condemning everybody that, that, you, that you meet. Stop yelling at them, for God's sake, get some love. See the, see, the, see the nature of the Father. See the glory of the Father found in the face of Jesus Christ and begin to emulate what you see. Do you know babies' natural response to seeing father and mothers to emulate what they see father and mother do? How many times have you seen your kid do something that you did not actively try to teach them, but they do it because they've seen you do it? Yeah. Yeah. So if we're, if we're intently gazing upon our heavenly father, and if we don't see him any time, but we can see Jesus, so if we intently set our gaze on Jesus and the nature of Jesus, then before long, we're going to begin to emulate Jesus. We're going to begin to act like Jesus. We're going to, be, we're going to begin to love like Jesus. We're going to be, and before long, Statesville will be synonymous with the glory of God. We don't see things clearly yet. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist, but it won't be long before the weather clears. Thank God. I'll just like that part right there. That was written for Statesville, North Carolina. I mean, I like the rain as much as the next guy, but goodness gracious. There's a river in our front yard we couldn't even mow this week. Did you see it? We're going to have a baptism out front doors this morning, right there, 10 feet from the side. We're having a baptism. That water is this deep. 
It wouldn't surprise me a bit if a, if a, if a big mouth bass came jumping about it this morning. <laughs> no, that would surprise me. I'd look for gold coin in his mouth. That's what I'd do. But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We will see it all then, see it as clearly as God sees us. <coughs> Excuse me, knowing him directly just as he knows us. But for right now, until that completeness comes, we have three things to do, uh, or three things to, to lead us towards that consummation. Remember, this is a message I preach. Trust steadily, hope unswervingly, and love extravagantly. You want say to be synonymous with the glory? Here's your recipe. You put these ingredients together, and I can promise you this is going to happen if we do it collectively and not just individually. Hope unswervingly. I'm sorry. Trust steadily in God. Hope unswervingly and love extravagantly. And the greatest of these three is love. See? Love. Statesville will be synonymous with the glory in as much as your personality becomes synonymous with the nature of Christ. You better write that one down because it ain't going to happen if you don't. And I don't mean act like him and I don't mean try to fight to act like him. Not, he, says, he said, be not conformed to the pattern of this world but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why do I preach like this all the time? Why do I challenge long-held beliefs? Because I want your mind renewed. Because if your mind's renewed, then every part of you will be transformed. Not conformed, but transformed. And you've never seen a butterfly call, crawl back into a cocoon. Once that, once that butterfly gets its beautiful wings, it's gone and it's flying and it'll never go back to that death that it came out of. Amen. Amen. Statesville would be synonymous with the glory inasmuch as you're willing to take on the nature of the same. And the way to take on the nature of, of the Father is to see the nature of the Father. And the way to see the nature of the Father is to see the nature of His Son. And the way to see the nature of His Son is to, is to simply look at the nature of His Son. What did He do? How did He treat people? What did He do with people? How did He respond? How did He react? And more times than not, He was moved with compassion. Yeah. Amen? How many people still want to see states with synonyms of the glory? Because the Lord's looking for foot, foot soldiers that's going to put this to action. It's not enough to talk about it. It ain't magically happened because we declare it. It's as we say, wait a minute, you're, you're telling me. I have a personal responsibility in making sure that states for synonymous with the glory. And that, and that responsibility is, is my personal time. Jesus would leave crowds of thousands and sneak away and spend personal time with Father. So he could see Father, hear Father, and then he would come back out. He did it every day. And he didn't do it to have something to say. He did it because he loved his time with Father. The byproduct of him doing it was he had something to say. I know a whole lot of preachers that don't study until they have a sermon to preach. But that's a whole different story. That's performance. Jesus literally never got along with the Father. Say, man, I, the Sermon on the Mount's coming up pretty soon. I better get studying. No. He was the express image, the perfect prototype of new kingdom sonship. Period. Amen. Now that was that was a long message, wasn't it? It's, it is twelve thirty. It's five o'clock somewhere. No worries. Autumn told us last week they make rolls every eight minutes at Logan's. That set me free. Set me free because I was condemning myself in my mind. Really, not even condemning myself. I was getting mad at me, like, man, I want a roll. I don't like them. You like a cold roll that gets hard? I want that. That's disgusting. Give me some fresh manna. And I found out they could, Paul, they cook them every eight minutes. It was like the glory of God came out of heaven and hit me right in the chest. Whew. Make you what? 
It's making me hungry too. Go fire up the car. We're about to go. <laughs> Rachel, Rachel calls it peanuts. Daddy, can we go eat at peanuts? <laughs> yeah. Statesville will be synonymous with the glory yes. in so much as you will become synonymous with the nature of the Father and the way that you become synonymous or known as or known for being carrying the nature of, I, I preached a message, preached a series, go get it, called Bearer, Glory Bearers, Carriers of the Glory. Yes. And the way, that, the way that it happens is you become just like him. And the way that you become like him is you see him as he is. And he's good. And he's love. And he forgives. And he's for you. He's probably hungry too. Are you hungry? I'm hungry. Let's all stand. Father, I thank you this morning for what you have done among us. I don't even know how to say thank you enough for what you did. We always have tried to change uh, the conversation to not what are you doing for us on Sundays and not going to get filled back up, but we've even tried to change that where we want to come pour out of you. And yet, once again, you just showed up and showed out and did your thing. I, I just, you're just so good. You're so good. And I thank you for your nature. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for taking away from me a fear of condemnation and putting inside of my heart the understanding that you love me always. And you're going to love me into my destiny. And you're going to love me into your kingdom. And we are going to love people and love them, not scare them into your kingdom. Yeah. <coughs> Help us as sons and daughters to wear your name proudly and to wear it properly. Yeah. And by wearing your name, I mean to carry your nature. Yeah. Your nature which is forgiving. Which loves people, which gives. Which always give, which does not strut, does not boast. Help us, Lord, to take on that image. I love you. I thank you for this day. I thank you for this wonderful people. I thank you that they were willing to sit here, Lord, even for 30 more minutes than normal. I pray the roles are extra special at Logan's today. In Jesus' name, amen.